This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots and Spectators daily and sometimes more than daily politics podcast. We have a sense that today could be one of those days where you hear from us at multiple points. After months of anonymous threats and speculation, Boris Johnson is due to face a confidence vote by his MPs this evening. Graham Brady put out a statement this morning, the chair of the 1922 committee, in which he said, the threshold of the 15% of the parliamentary party seeking a vote of confidence in the leader of the Conservative Party has been exceeded. In accordance with the rules, a ballot will be held. That ballot will be held between 6 and 8 tonight, and votes will be counted soon after. James, how much trouble is Boris Johnson in? I think Boris Johnson is in a lot of trouble. I think that if the rebels had displayed some strategic patience and waited until after these two by-elections coming up on June 23rd, he would be in even more trouble. But I think the worry for Boris Johnson is he is not going to win this ballot by such a decisive margin that he will be able to say that this is done. You know, I don't think anyone thinks that he's the rebels are only going to get 54 votes or 60 votes or 70 votes. It, it is going to be north of that. And the larger the number is, the more difficult it will be for Boris Johnson. If he gets less than the 63% of the vote that Theresa May got in her confidence vote, that will be a, a massive blow to him. And I think the other problem, as Theresa May discovered, is the rules notionally say that you are safe for a year. But it's the Tory party. There are really are no rules. They can all be changed at any moment. And the rebels will keep agitating for change, keep saying that new facts have emerged. And it is also hard to... The only thing that I think really could change Boris Johnson's position would be if the political fundamentals improved in his favour if the Tories started doing better in the polls and in by-elections and things like that. And I don't think that's going to be the case. And I also think the other problem for him is that because there is this Privileges Committee investigation, the whole question of Partygate, you know, you can't stand up and say to Tory MPs today, and the way they've chosen to do this vote means they've only really got four hours to work on Tory MPs. Most Tory MPs won't be in Westminster until about two o'clock because they'll be travelling back from their constituencies after the long Jubilee bank holiday weekend, and then the vote's at six o'clock. He can't really say to them, well, Partygate is all done and over with now because everyone knows that there is another investigation into it to come. And so I think this is the problem for him today. I also think that you talk to people who know the Parliamentary Party best, as I was this morning, and there is a sense that they did not use recess to line people up enough. And this tight time frame means, you know, all the usual tricks of the trade that you would employ to try and benefit you, they can't do. You know, normally you take any minister you were worried might not vote against the Prime Minister and you send them off on some ministerial visit so they needed to get a proxy vote for this ballot. That would squeeze the numbers down in your favour, for, for example. You know, they haven't been able to do any of those things. I think the most likely outcome tonight is that Boris Johnson wins, but it could well be a Pyrrhic victory for him. Isabel, what has happened to Boris Johnson's shadow operation? It certainly succeeded earlier on in the year in shoring up his position when it came to reaching out. They've had, uh, you know, these calls on Saturdays with their most loyal MPs as a WhatsApp group, about 100 of them on. But James points to the fact that perhaps some of this has taken a back seat, perhaps because they thought they were on steadier ground than they are. Yeah, I think there were two factors. One is that um, part of the shadow whipping operation then became the whipping operation. So you've got Chris Heaton-Harris and Chris Pincher in the whip's office. Um, And so I think there was a sort of sense that now there was an official whipping operation, but that didn't necessarily mean that the... um, 
uh, that the momentum and the effort was kept up to the level that you've just described, Katie, uh, you know, w- w- with all the phone calls, uh, with uh, all the uh, private meetings, with uh, lines of communication between backbenchers and these uh, shadow whips and the prime minister, and, and indeed, uh, according to some MPs, uh, a certain amount of threatening as well towards some of the uh, the more rebellious MPs. So I think that started to uh, disband, basically, and didn't get back up and running in time for this vote. One of the other factors, of course, is that um, Tory MPs were really quite shaken by the the booing over the weekend. And, you know, there has been a debate over how many boos there were and whether there were more cheers, but that it just mysteriously didn't get picked up by the microphones in the same way. But I think that for a lot of Conservative MPs, I, I mean, I was talking to one who who was basically saying, well, look, you know, it's fine for a normal politician to get booed, but Boris Johnson isn't used to being booed. He he normally is followed by crowds of people wanting selfies. So this is sort of doubly upsetting for him and for the Conservative Party, which, as we've said many times on this podcast, has a very transactional relationship with a man who they don't always like or admire, but who they know is a winner. And if they see the, the popular reaction to him changing, then that causes them a great deal of anxiety. And so even if there had been a great deal of effort from the shadow whipping operation or indeed the official whipping operation and his PPSs and so on, I'm not sure how much of an effect that would have had against this very obvious and very well seen incident outside St Paul's. James, let's talk benchmarks. Uh, You mentioned, you know, this was a very... uh small uh, number going against him they could argue some sort of form of uh, you know win that could boost him though historically confidence votes rarely do that what benchmarks are MPs and ministers discussing for example there's lots of comparisons to what Theresa May got yeah I think the Theresa May benchmark 63% of the vote is the most obvious one in given that she was gone six months later if he doesn't beat that that would be very damaging for him. I also think there is there is a, there is an aspect of the way in which the rules. So up to this point, up until the fifty four letters, the current rules protect the incumbent. Just look at how long it's taken to get these fifty four letters. How long it took against Theresa May. I think if you'd had the pre ninety seven system in place, David Cameron would have faced the challenge during the rockier period of the coalition. Think twenty twelve, twenty thirteen. But once the threshold for a ballot has been reached. That is a massive problem for the Prime Minister because 15% is already a substantial part of the parliamentary party. You know, 54 votes, that is more than the Prime Minister's majority on the, in the House of Commons, which is 80, because obviously 40 Tory MPs flip. So you've got that problem. I also think it, it's safe to say that when faced with a ballot paper, twice as many people are a relatively conservative estimate as put letters in or vote against. So you're already talking about close to a third of the parliamentary party voting against you and it's very hard to recover your authority after over that and another problem for him is that you know there are 170 Tory MPs on the payroll so people will say ah deduct 170 from that number and how's he actually done among the back benches now obviously the truth of the matter is that not every member of the payroll will vote for the prime minister in the privacy of uh, the ballot box tonight obviously the vast majority will but the point being that his opponents will be able to say that, you know, he's lost a majority of a non-payroll vote, for example, you know, even if technically he hasn't, because number 10 won't want to come out and say, well, actually, I think we think quite a lot of the payroll might have voted against us. (laughs) But I think in terms of the benchmark, he has to beat that Theresa May 63%. Isabel, in the hours ahead of this vote, what's going to be happening when it comes to both sides? Because 
there's been some coordination, not not huge when it comes to letters coming from various parts of the party. But there are two sheets going around today. One is a sheet from those who want Boris Johnson to go, pointing out uh, negative polling. And the other is uh, one pointing out, you know, why those around him still believe that he is the most likely candidate for winning the next election. Yeah, so the uh, the sheet from his supporters is framing this as an opportunity to put the distraction of the past months behind us, unite and focus on getting on with the job. But as James said earlier in this podcast, that's going to be very difficult to do, even if he has you know, a resounding victory in this vote. Because you have the Privileges Committee investigation, because this is going to drag on into the autumn anyway, it's not as though this vote is going to put an end to all of those things as well. And then this um, this sheet that I've got in front of me that's been sent out to uh, supportive Conservative MPs, or at least uh, Conservative MPs who... Um, who were thought to be supportive, I think is, is probably a better way to do it. It describes that the things that he is going to be doing, such as we can focus, we can choose today to focus on growing the economy, cutting taxes, making our streets safer and busting the NHS backlogs. None of those things are actually happening. That's the, uh, the thing that really riles Conservative MPs and makes them feel almost... Uh, one was saying to me that they feel like they're being, um, to use a popular phrase, gaslit by the Prime Minister because the, the government is not cutting taxes. It's putting them up. It's introducing new taxes. It you know, only recently introduced uh, what it insists is not the windfall tax that the Labour Party suggested, but it has very similar design on the profits of energy companies. It's not growing the economy and people aren't going to be feeling as though the economic situation is getting any better for them as their energy bills go up and they struggle to afford their weekly shops. Making our streets safer, I'm not entirely sure there's very much evidence of that, but busting the NHS backlog, again, not very much evidence that that's actually happening. All the projections are that the backlog is going to get much, much bigger before it starts to reduce and uh, it's only going to grow in the run-up to the next election. Election. So by the time we get to that election, there's going to be a lot of people who feel that their lives have got worse, that they or their relatives are stuck on an NHS waiting list with their health deteriorating and that their taxes haven't been cut, which is exactly why Boris Johnson's opponents are circulating a different briefing sheet uh, with different lines on it. But James, one of the things that has kept Boris Johnson in position to this point is the fact that no one is quite sure who to replace him with. And even if we're looking at the critics, so Jesse Norman has come out this morning and he cites uh, the direction of the government as a problem. But when he gives examples, that includes the protocol and he does not like Boris Johnson's plan as supported by Liz Truss to overwrite parts of the protocol. Then you have figures such as Steve Baker, who've been calling for Boris Johnson to go, who take a completely different position on the protocol. So do you think that is going to be one of the reasons why uh, you know, he could be safe tonight and perhaps his majority may not be as bad as some people think? Or have we now just got to the point where effectively MPs may not know what's going to replace Boris Johnson, but many are just deciding it's so bad they want to take a chance on a very unpredictable contest? So I think you're right, Katie, that one of the things that has tapped the 54 letters off until now is that there is no agreement over who the successor should be. And there's also, as you also allude to, there's no agreement over which direction the successor should necessarily go in. Now, set against that is that one of the advantages Theresa May had in her confidence vote, if you think back to that moment in 2018, was it was quite clear that it was Jacob Rees-Mogg and Steve Baker who were trying to get rid of her. And an awful lot of people ahead of that vote said to me, I don't really have very much confidence in Theresa May, but I have even less confidence in 
those two. So I'm going to vote for Theresa May because I have marginally more confidence in her than I have in them. So Boris Johnson slightly suffers from the fact that he can't point to somebody else and say, do you want to entrust the party to that person? I also think that, look at the fact that this vote is taking place now rather than after the by-elections. I think that shows you as, as you, as you alluded to in your question, Katie, that this is a kind of organic, just-had-enough revolt rather than a kind of someone sitting somewhere on uh, has decided to that they've got a spreadsheet and they've worked out that they've got the votes and so they want to trigger the challenge at this moment to the benefit of their candidate. I think Boris Johnson will make a lot of the fact that if you roll the dice and get rid of him, you can't know who could replace him. There will be a lot of saying to hardline Brexiteer MPs, well, you could end up putting a Remainer in, uh, you know, Jeremy Hunt into the job. And there'll right, be lo- they're Bookie's favourite. And, and there'll be lots of people saying to people on the, on the kind of One Nation wing of the party, well, do you really want Liz Truss who, as Prime Minister? You know, she's now more Brexit than Brexit, despite having been Remain. And she's, you know, her economic policy is very libertarian. You know, do you really want her? So I think there'll be a lot of this going on from number 10. But I think they have... They have left themselves not much time. And I think they also did not use recess in the way that they could have done to kind of talk to MPs to understand their concerns. Thank you, James. Thank you, Isabel. And we'll be back this afternoon, um, of course, after the vote and depending what happens between now and then, maybe even before. Thank you for listening. For this week only, to celebrate the Queen's Jubilee... We're offering you the chance to subscribe to 10 weeks of the magazine in print and online for just £1. Not only that, we'll also send you a commemorative tea towel to mark this historic moment. Go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash jubilee. Hurry though, this offer ends on Monday.